Welcome to Felony Miami, where real people have real conversations about justice in the USA. Weed, herb, pot, cannabis, good shit, that sticky icky, chronic, crippy, marijuana, Mary Jane, OG Kush, sour diesel, purple Urkel, train wreck. Whatever you call it, in Florida, it can still send you to prison. Despite states like Colorado, Washington, Oregon, and California already collecting over a billion dollars in collective tax revenue on recreational marijuana, no state in the South has legalized it yet. Many think that Florida could be the first to rise, and institutional capital is betting on it. The recently passed medical marijuana program is in effect, and today we're talking all about it. Where there's injustice for one, there's injustice for all. Welcome to Felony Miami. Let's air it out. Welcome back to Felony Miami. I'm your host, Joe Stone. On today's show, we're talking marijuana. And in the studio today, we have three amazing, talented guests. We have Nikki Freed, lawyer and activist who helped spearhead the language and the passing of the medical marijuana bill in Florida. And she's the founder and CEO of Igniting Florida, LLC. We also have Jamila Lin, educational consultant, uh, with a special focus on uh, historically black colleges and university students, and the founder and CEO of Bottom Up Thinking LLC. And last but not least, Dr. Sophia Lynn Lassiter, founder and CEO, Ask Dr. Lynn, a company that educates and qualifies Florida residents for medical marijuana use. Welcome. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Awesome to be here. Thank you so much for being here. So. Uh, my first question is this, marijuana, Florida, is it legal? Is it not legal? What's up? And Nikki, I just want you, since you helped write the language, can you just jump right in and tell us where we're at? Are we allowed to smoke weed or are we not allowed to smoke weed? <laughs> that, that is a fantastic question. So kind of the, the lay of the land of where we are today. Uh, so this first started in 2014 where we first passed a comprehensive um, compassionate use um, bill where it allowed for low THC for basically patients with epilepsy and cancer. And they were giving out five licenses in the state of Florida that gave uh, full discretion to grow, manufacture, produce, and then distribute. And only those five were allowed to touch the plant and be involved with the production of, of the actual product. Then in 2016, we expanded it out a little bit more to now include the right to try, which means a terminal patient is allowed to now have the high THC. So the same growers that were involved in the first licenses uh, were now allowed to now grow the high THC product uh, for, again, just the limited patient base of terminal patients, epilepsy, and cancer. Did you say that's the right to try or the right to high? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of both, you know? Okay, yeah, <laughs> you know, when you get to that stage in your life, like, whatever. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> do yeah. whatever you have to do to make yourself feel comfortable. That's right. Yeah. And yeah, um, so, yeah. exactly. And where are we now? So, uh, we then passed uh, the Constitutional Amendment last year, and it passed by an overwhelming 71-plus percent in the citizens of the state of Florida, and that's now in our Constitution. That's the and, one we all voted on. Yeah. So we all voted overwhelmingly for, <laughs> and it's for medical purposes. So basically, what it's done is allow is expand the conditions. So now there's 11 conditions in our constitution, which are from glaucoma to PTSD, uh, HIV/AIDS, Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, Parkinson's, epilepsy, cancer, and then there's a catch-all that we really uh, is where I think that most of our education needs to go to the doctors to make them think outside the box that if you have a similar condition to that that it's in the Constitution, then you should be able to get onto the patient registry. Right. So during this past legislative session, there was a, a lot of uh, back and forth between the legislature of how to implement the constitutional amendment. And so what came out of it was that we do have access to medical marijuana, the same you know license 
holders previously and then have expanded it, that now there's currently 13 license holders across the state of Florida. And there are, we allowed to open up dispensaries as well across the state. And as our patient base grows, every 100,000 is four additional license holders that will be granted to produce the the medical marijuana. And so the way it works is that a patient uh, goes to their qualified doctor. So a doctor has to get onto the registry as well. They qualify that they are in fact uh, a, a patient that would have one of these conditions and then they get onto the registry. The patient then has an opportunity to go to any of the licensed uh, providers and pick up their medical marijuana. And that could be anywhere from uh, vape pens and and oils um, to topical creams, um, different types of inhalation, uh, different types of pills, um, tinctures, which is uh, oil, uh, but smoking was banned. So you can't smoke weed. Can't, can't smoke weed. You can consume it any other way, but you can't smoke it. Right, which also then prohibits us from selling the flour, too. Yes, so there is a major lawsuit that is in the mix right now that John Morgan has put forth, and we actually had a trial set for May 16th on the the right to actually be able to to smoke. And who's who's the main opposition to this? I'm curious. Is it the liquor companies? Is it the tobacco companies? Is it the pharmaceutical drug companies? Is it... The quite irony is that a lot of the, the pushback that we received lobbying the, this issue in the legislature is that they're very conservative, that we have a very strong Republican legislature and a governor who hates this issue. Mm. And if had if it, it, he had his way, he would have vetoed the bill yeah. um, and, and everywhere along the way. Uh, it's very conservative on a drug-free that a lot of the Republican caucus feels on a conservative side that marijuana is the gateway uh, into the harder core drugs as opposed to recognizing we have an opiate problem and this is a gateway off of the opiates. So it's also Big Pharma gets in the mix here too because, of course, they make a lot of money on all the pharmaceutical companies, mm-hmm. uh, on sure. the, the products, and also you know medical marijuana, which we'll, I'm sure, talk about as all these other benefits that would supplement the actual uh, products from Big Pharma. Right, mm-hmm. so I just want to ask you, Dr. Uh, Sophia Lynn Lassiter. <laughs> Can I just call you uh, Dr. Lassiter? No problem. <laughs> um, nice and easy. <laughs> so you actually prescribe medical marijuana to your patients. I do. So um, I started my company last summer and I started it out of necessity. I work in the emergency department, one of the busiest emergency departments down here in South Beach, and I had a lot of patients overdosing. As you know, we are a visiting state, so we get lots of people. Overdosing on opioids? Opioids or? and narcotics, yep, okay. and also designer drugs. Okay. Um, there are a couple of things that you can do to try to help patients who are taking straight opiates and to recover, which would be things like Narcan and managing their respiratory system. When they come in on designer drugs and you don't know what they're taking, what combination of drugs they're taking, it's hard to identify how to bring them back. So it's um, been a big loss in our community, and we were seeing that wave nationwide. So one of my goals is to try to get my patients off of as many of their narcotic medications as possible and use a more homeopathic approach with medical marijuana. So I wanted to have that as an option for my patients, and I wanted to be a licensed prescriber. So I have a question. Um, Let's say, for example, you have somebody coming in that's been doing copious amounts of drugs, overdosing, has a history, perhaps right. is is an actual addict. Right. You know, what is the position of medical marijuana use as far as like a 12-step recovery group is concerned? Is is there is that where is an that? Option? Okay. Understand exactly what you're saying. So you're looking at patients who have long-term chronic use. There is no way to detox off of that chronic use by just transitioning to marijuana. It's not your bridge. You have to detox your body and cleanse from your opiates and go through that process of really getting your system right before you can even enter into a different option of treatment. Um, Because if not, you're still going to be feeling the withdrawal effects and then you're not going to feel the benefits of the medical marijuana. Um, It has not been an option. Most people who go to 12-step programs or programs to quote-unquote detox, they're using things like um, uh, other medications to help them, like Ativan to calm their nerves, Sofran to help with their nausea, Bental for their abdominal cramping and diarrhea. Um, They're using other things to help soothe them, to get them through that one-week period where their body is cleansing. 
So to introduce medical marijuana at that time, you can't um, see the true benefits yet right. because it's hard to decipher what their body is actually going through versus what it's helping. So it, after, again, somebody detoxes yeah. and uh, they can maybe be put on some sort of a, a regiment uh, on the medical marijuana, because is, I mean, here's the question, is is it getting you high? Are people coming to you like they're going to, with the doctors with the opiates? Right. Uh, maybe it starts out with a legitimate issue, but then it turns into something much more complicated and much more difficult, and these people who maybe wouldn't have been addicts become addicts. So let's distinguish that. The quote-unquote high that you receive from marijuana is not what you're getting from medicinal marijuana. Remember, medicinal marijuana is actually the concentrated form of TCH and CBD that is extracted from the marijuana plant. So that euphoric high is not available. That comes from the other supplements of the plant. So it's not even in the concentrated portion that we are prescribing and we are distributing to our patients who have qualified for medical marijuana. There's a specific count of TCH and CBD oil that allows you to not experience that euphoric high. So specifically, CBD oil is less than, say, 10% or 15%. Anything above 15% for CBD oil, you get that high. Okay. So, so medical so, marijuana does not have that. Okay. Okay. So it's uh, it's not something people are going to come in trying to get to get high off of it. They're going to well, come in. Well, people are still going to come in trying to get it. Not for that reason. <laughs> well, and, maybe. And, yeah, and, and, sure. not to, and not to totally um, you know, divest for what you yeah. just said, but but actually some of the products that are out there, mm-hmm. um, they are going to the, high, to the high THC, and so people are using them also for that midday or nighttime you know, euphoric yeah. feeling. Okay. So the high THC products are out there and are being available to, you know, especially like patients that are have severe pain, mm-hmm. whether it's associated with muscular dystrophy or... Um, you know, Crohn's disease or some of those that they're actually using it to relieve their pain and it is a euphoric um, as well. And so some of it also for like PTSD, for the anxiety and for helping to sleep, that the, the THC levels are high enough that they're actually being in, in a, able to fall asleep and, and use it for a euphoric purposes too. So let's jump to Professor Jamila because I want to know um, your perspective on the whole illegal part of this and you know so here's this great medical uses and and passing it to help people but um for many many decades in this country it has been a source of of uh, putting our fellow citizens in prison absolutely absolutely you know well, you know, when you think about, so yeah, from, from my vantage point, working historically uh, black colleges and universities, that's kind of my base here, thinking about who in fact is being arrested for even small amounts, possession, and the resources, billions of dollars going to um, policing, you know, particular communities. No, 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 no coincidence there around socioeconomic politics and all of that, um, working in a black college space, you have to now ask the question, well, if this is what policing looks like, and this is what the penal system looks like, how many of my prospective students are in that population? So when I'm thinking about 17 to 24, and I'm looking at the implications of, you know, all of this for prospective students who go to HBCUs and, of course, the funding piece of all of that, right? And so if we know that, you know, 75% of students at historically black colleges and universities are Pell Grant dependent, right? Then you're talking about a whole population because of this, you know, system that's in place that won't have access to college because of funding issues. So federal financial aid. Right? So you think about the FAFSA and you go through and you apply for money from the government to go to college, to go to someone's college university somewhere, right? If I've been convicted now, my access, my eligibility for federal funds changes. And that will ultimately have a huge effect on the composition of what our incoming students look like. Even students who, for example, um, have been sentenced, served their time, come back out. Are they now fully eligible for funding? Well, some states have different regulations, right? And so, you know, there's even a distinction between, okay, if I was convicted while I was receiving, while I was a recipient of federal money, 
then how was that read as a person who, for example, was not in school, comes back out, is released into the world and says, hey, I want to go to school now because I understand that education is a viable pathway to social mobility and stability, right? So, so I'm thinking about it from an education standpoint and opportunities to actually come back in to society after being locked up, locked down. What does that look like if we take funding off the table? For, for these for these students. And so, you know, that to me, the criminalization here, the stigma um, and looking at the resources actually invested into targeting particular communities for nonviolent offenses. Right. So is, let me ask you this. To me. Can with these new laws on the books, can people still go to prison? Yep. In this Absolutely. state, yes. Florida. Yes. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. because okay. remember that only people who are allowed, who are on the registry, are allowed to possess the, the medical marijuana. So even if somebody who's on the street who has bought street narcotics, drugs, you know, whether it's under twenty, whatever it is, if you don't have a medical marijuana card, you're absolutely going to get yourself arrested. And also, the law enforcement that actually um, pulls over that driver or whatever the stop for that reason is. They can see the medical marijuana registry and see if you have an up-to-date medical marijuana patient identification number and if you're a registered patient. Oh, it's connected to your driver's license. It's connected to your driver's license. And remember, these cards expire every year, so they need to be renewed annually. And it takes one month to renew it. So these are things that need to be done on a timely basis. Right. Same thing. They can't go into a dispensary with an expired medical marijuana card and receive the prescription I give them. So it's one of, one of my jobs to stay on top of the patients and make sure that we're up to date with all of our paperwork and that their ailments haven't changed. Yeah, so yeah. every 270 days, you got to re-see your doctor in order mm-hmm. to get um, make sure that you still have the same condition that you mm-hmm. were on the registry for and get a renewal. Uh, it's incredibly complicated, and I'm just trying to think about doing that and being high at the same time, and it's like, hey, wait, hold on a minute. I mean, and, and that's and that's our job is to work with the legislature to kind of make it not as complicated. Right. And, and I'm just wondering, also, I mean, can we all just say what this is? Is this part of the marijuana journey just a stepping stone to getting it to be like California and Colorado and Washington State and making it recreationally legal? Well. well 29 of the states and Washington, D.C. at this point are um, qualified for medicinal marijuana use. Um, Of those, I would say it's eight states plus Washington, D.C. that are qualified for recreational use. So of our total amount of states, we're over 60 percent of the way there. You know, this is the path. This is the direction the nation is going towards. So it's important that Florida gets on board and on time because we don't want to miss out on the tax benefits. We don't want to miss out on funding. We want to make sure that we are ahead of the curve. Sure. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of money. I mean, you see in California what just happened when when the stuff yeah. became legal there, the whole criminal aspect of it, the cost mm-hmm. uh, for like an ounce of weed went from $1,600 to $200. Exactly. It basically killed the black market. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, but Nikki, and, you were talking about, and so, you know, I was interested in the recreational use Mm -hmm. language piece, and I know you guys are doing some work to kind of shape, uh, move away from that to talk about adult use. Like, how does that? So it's you know, so we have spent a lot of time in D.C. Obviously, when when Attorney General Sessions uh, rescinded the Cole Memorandum, which basically created a a protection to the states that have a medical marijuana program, Um, and so when he did that, it it basically made us all get up to D.C. and try to figure out what what is the temperature up there. And what we have found is that there is becoming a more and more um, support for medical. And so we are kind of making sure that the medical states that have passed it, whether it's by statute or by constitution, um, are are protected, making sure that the citizens of Florida are protected. And as we continue to have those conversations, there's obviously those that are involved in in the other states that have gone more of the Mm -hmm. recreational use. And we're trying to reframe the conversation because politicians in D.C. see those who have been fighting for recreational use as the 60s and 70s hippies that, that you know, would rather go uh, and smoke weed and go sit and listen to The Doors or Pink Floyd all day long. And so that is their image. And so we've tried to change the dialogue that it's not a, hey, we all just want to sit on our couch all day long, that there is tax benefits with it. There are opportunities to, get, to help with the healthcare system, get people yeah. off the opiates, make sure that your Medicaid, Medicare, healthcare is covering these benefits and 
and it starts shifting the conversation that people start feeling comfortable with that this is not a new war on drugs. Mm-hmm. That this is something that the, the country is, it's a social issue, it's going to be the, you know, the LGBTQ of our, of our generation yeah, and changing the dialogue. Um, but it, part of that is changing the, the way people see the movement. And it's interesting that you mentioned insurance because that has come up often with me. Um, several times patients will just call me and say, hey, do you accept insurance? And the honest answer is no. This is a cash business. Absolutely. Um, and you can't deposit the cash no. <laughs> into a bank. No. There are no banks in Florida. There are no banks in the it. state of Florida that accept money related to medicinal That's marijuana cool. use, period. And one other thing that I want to add to that, one of our producers just, just chimed in and sent me a note here that says, federal law prohibits medical marijuana users from owning guns. Okay, that's great in a concept, but here's the thing. <laughs> Where is that list, and how do the gun shops access that list? So here's because, the issue there. It's a right. big, big issue for me yeah. um, because I have a concealed weapons permit. Mm-hmm. I also own a gun, mm-hmm. and I also am on the registry. And so because what has happened is because... Triple threat. Triple threat. Get <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> the cops outside. Lock me up. <laughs> so basically the way it works is because it's still a Schedule One narcotic, that any time that you go in to purchase a gun, there is a long you know, list of things that you need to check off. Let's just be clear. Schedule One narcotics include what drugs? Heroin. Heroin. Is a Schedule One schedule narcotic one. example. And cocaine. Cocaine. <laughs> Cocaine's okay. actually scheduled too. Oh, really? It's actually scheduled too. Oh, there are some that? medicinal benefits of cocaine. <laughs> okay. Um, but the so way wait, scheduling. So, wait, marijuana is on the same level as, co- as, as heroin. heroin. As heroin. Heroin for Seems Schedule 1. Unbalanced. So, just a quick synopsis there's five schedules of drugs. One being um, the drugs that have absolutely no medical benefit at all, five being the ones that are least addictive with medicinal benefit. Okay. So one of the fights in Parliament right now is to try to get marijuana moved from a Schedule 1 to a Schedule 2 drug. Mm-hmm. If that is done, then there will be some benefits to using medicinal marijuana, okay. and that way you can actually get federal funding for some more studies regarding the use of medical marijuana. So that's a big argument on the floor right now. Right. So you have your yep. concealed weapons permit. You yes. Got your, I've your got gun, my gun. And you got your weed card. <laughs> yes, sir. And so, but I can no longer go and purchase a new gun. Right. Because what will happen is I have to, on any sheet that I fill out, um, it has to check box whether you have a, a possession of Schedule One narcotic or that you're on it or mental health issues, you know. And, and so some of the people that may have gotten on the registry for PTSD, mm-hmm. that's would be considered a mental health issue. And so you either have the option of committing a felony by checking not checking the right boxes or just recognizing that until the law changes yeah. uh, or that we have some type of, you know, outside loophole um, that somebody can fall into, you know, exception for medical marijuana card holders, um, that's just the situation that we're in. Mm-hmm. And then I would think, you know, we were talking about like the 60s, 70s hippie um, characterization. I would also add to that young, black, urban men and women. Do you know what I'm saying? So I don't. I, I think mm-hmm. that politicians are absolutely very much aware of how this conversation is racialized and that is gendered. Oh, right? absolutely. And, and, and so we're also thinking about recreational use, that right. language and, you know, it's just so interesting to me that you kind of tease that out because we're also thinking about that with particular people in mind outside of the 60s, 70s hippie. Yep. So the war on marijuana is really a war on black and brown people. Yeah, it was funny. Like I was, every other war on drugs in this country. I, I was yeah. uh, on a flight back from Orlando two days ago and the individual sitting next to you is actually a client of mine and uh, on this issue. And so he was reading me a quote from some of the original people who put this, who made uh, marijuana illegal. Right. And, and the, the quotes about, you know, this is a, a drug for, uh, you know, brown people, black people, and, and and hipsters that just want to commit crime. Like, literally, it was a quote that it was said. And I said, wait, is that the same thing that Attorney General Sessions is? Is that his quote, or is that... <laughs> and, but the fact that it's the same um, concept and the same mindset of somebody like Attorney General Sessions and somebody from the original uh, prohibition of cannabis. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's an interesting uh, road because it, it does occur to, I think, all of us that... The same, the same punishments don't seem to be doled out for different colored people. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to try to take a position of this or that, but my eyes are opened. It's very, I mean, you just have to walk into a courthouse and mm-hmm. sit and watch some bail hearings right. for, for an hour. Look, there's crime out there, but it seems disproportionate. Um, 
you know, and I, I don't want to be that guy that's on the soapbox, but look, it it is disproportionate. Well, and you work, black right, you folk work with, are three point seven three times more likely than whites to be arrested for marijuana. Yeah, but are no more likely to use than white people. That's clear. Clear. Absolutely. I was a past public defender in in Alachua County, and I saw firsthand. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of uh, arrest reports that I read that the first line was, I smelled an odor odor of marijuana. (laughs) And, and, you know, seeing the differences from even the state attorneys on the offers that are being offered to Mm -hmm. my clients that were happened to have been minority versus white and and not seeing the same charges of of the white population – it, it, it opened my eyes to, to understanding the complete uh, disparity in the system. Okay, so we're all very aware of this. Right. You know, white, black, brown, we're all aware of this. How do we make a change? What do we do going forward? How do we and this next generation, you know, on, our, on one of our previous shows, you know, we talked about how incredible this, this next generation of, of kids are and how they're not haters and how they're very smart and how connected they are um, and, and the changes they want to make. So what I'm curious about with this panel today is what do we do to, to start making a change in this system going forward? Well, I know one thing that I can do as my role as a provider is hopefully um, advocate for more inclusion of other medical conditions for medical marijuana. Um, Right now, as Nikki said, we're limited in what we can approve patients for in the state of Florida. And remember, this varies per state. This is not federally regulated, so this is a per state issue. Um, At this time, thank goodness we have up to 12 conditions that are medically approved and a little bit of leeway in that area. But ultimately... If someone else has has a condition that does not fall under the medicinal marijuana use, I can't qualify you for your card. So therefore, you're going out trying to seek to find marijuana and other options. Um, Of course, there's pricing differences with that. There is legal issues. Um, There is higher risk. You don't know what you're smoking. Um, So you don't know the quality of what you're getting either. Um, So it leads us back to a point where we have to just decide how are we going to protect our patients? How are we going to advocate for our patients? How are we going to make this miracle drug available to all of our patients? I think on the education side, I mean, just in schools, K through 12, I mean, the way that we even talk about drug use is so kind of elusive and, you know, we're still obsessed with this notion that students aren't having sex. And they aren't using drugs. And it, you know, it's, it's just crazy that for how progressive we think we are, in many ways, that conservatism that you talked about, Nikki, is real. And we see it in the schools. Sex ed is gone. You know, it used to be say no to drugs. Remember that whole yeah. campaign? Nancy Reagan. It, 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 like, so to me, informed conversations to help Young people, one, understand all that goes into, right, drug use, medicinal marijuana. I mean, in, in the space that we're in with young people in depression and mental health, how are we not talking about, in a more constructive way, uh, drug use and mental health issues tied to that, right? So I think, you know, from the K through 12, my, my piece on the higher ed side, that'll fall in line as we think about, you know, federal aid and monies and all of that. HBCUs have to be self-reliant. So as long as you're tied and dependent on government dollars, I mean, so raising money and tightening up infrastructures, that's one thing. But from a K through 12 standpoint, I think there is a huge gap there, uh, missed opportunity for education. Civics is also <laughs> gone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> gone. It, it seems to, it occurs to me, and I've had these conversations with a lot of my friends, that there's somewhere along the line, there's been an effort to dumb down the electorate in this country. And... I think that's changing, and it's changing because of the. There are the upsides and downsides to this internet and these smartphones and these computers we carry around in our hands. And one of the upsides to it, of course, is not only better uh, connectivity, it's more availability to knowledge. Because right. back in the day, when I wanted to do something, it was like, well, let's see, the library opens at <laughs> nine o'clock, and I'll go pull an encyclopedia that was written six years ago and right. uh, look that story up. Uh, so and now real I time information, real time information, real time information, right, right. Be- because a, a lot of times you, you ask people that are in their 30s, what are the three branches of government? Uh, they'll be like the olive branch. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's right. But it's no, it's messed up because as Nikki clearly pointed out, a lot of these changes come from 
being involved in government because yeah. Yeah. the vote really matters. Absolutely. And, and, and I just wanted to kind of go off of, you know, some of the other points. is, And I don't think it's just K through 12. I think you've got to do more, a more full-time PVK, that you've got a lot of parents that are having to, to, to wage between one parent staying home, one parent going to work, mm-hmm. and or if you have to go both go to work, mm-hmm. then what are you doing with your child all day long? Mm-hmm. And if you get somebody at two years old and three years old to understand education is important, have that instilled in them those habits, then they have a more likelihood to get through the entire education system and and a great foundation. And I think, you know, I would even go further on your saying, how do we fix this? I think there's a lot of ways to fix this when it comes to Tallahassee and legislatively. I think, one, uh, we have been talking about, um, you know, if somebody has, one, is to make sure that you're not being arrested for under 20. Uh, you know, so many uh, of so many young adults that I have come across that had one stupid mistake, that they had a joint in their pocket mm-hmm. or something like that, and now they can't get into college, they can't get into school, they can't drive. Housing it, is it, affected. Yeah. Everything. Immigration. It, everything. Everything. Right. And so I think that decriminalizing at least the, the possession charge of the under 20 mm-hmm. is essential. I also think that, again, if you have, in fact, served your sentence, and, and this could be anybody from, you know, that's served in the last year to anybody who served in the last 30 years, mm-hmm. if you are done with your conviction of a drug, drug charge, that should be expunged or reduced and should no longer be affecting themselves on job applications or moving forward, especially Absolutely. on drug charges that now we're legalizing. Exactly. Yep. Because what do you do with I, – I, did it – in Oakland, did they just like release a bunch of people? A whole bunch of people, right? So, <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, and, and I guess, you know, if, if you're a conservative, I would think you would want to conserve. And it costs a lot of money to lock people up. And now we're facing another big problem mm-hmm. in this country, mm-hmm. an aging prison population. Yep. And all of the... There's no space. We don't have room. Yeah. Here's the thing. There's no room. If you're a conservative, you want to conserve. But if you're a conservative with a racist agenda... There is an investment in locking people up. Sure. Do, do you, you know reduce, what I'm saying? So, yeah, I mean, again, the... I don't know how we can talk about this without thinking about race, thinking about poverty, thinking about, I mean, because they're so deeply intertwined. And so you're, you're right, the K through 12 programming. And then also a piece of that is, of course, divorcing the kind of respectability politics from this. Because you're right, this recreational, is it a gateway to other things? But all of that is respectability. So and we still have this clean image that we're trying to hold on to. We don't even, like I said, we don't want to admit the fact that young people are smoking and having sex. But listen, we went through this in this country in the in the 1920s. Yes. We tried prohibition Fishing. and we that's, saw that's right. uh, what a nightmare that was. Um, my, my perspective on all that seems to be the same today. You have all this criminalization. You have all this, this dark money. Um, I think it maybe is a better idea to make it legal. Maybe all of it legal. I see the other people's perspective, though. If Is it going to become a free-for-all? Is yeah. it going to become Sodom and Gomorrah? I don't order. know. Yeah. Um, your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, yeah. The law and order um, rhetoric is... Again, shaky when you see that law and order protects a selected few. So the concept in and of itself is flawed. And you go back to Jefferson and notes on the state of Virginia. You're talking about the founding fathers who clearly, clearly expressed everything other than, you know what I mean, democratic ideals. So when you have selective, you know, justice and you have unfair sentencing and you have all of these things that Dickie's talking about, right, in the courts, I mean, you know, it's out of pocket. Who has money out of pocket when you look at, you know what I mean, the pay scale? And you look at household incomes for black and brown people. Now you're telling me I need some money on top of the my money expenditures. I already pay for my medical insurance, on top right. of my Medicare, on to top be, of all the things. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're again, you, you, there is, yeah. there's an elitist undertone in all of this. Yeah, and, and uh, absolutely, because some of the things that was happening up in Tallahassee is that, that exact conversation, that this is still a white person's drug. That That's in right. order to see the doctor, mm-hmm. which is, you know, cash, yep. is, is $200 to $300, yep. and then to get your card, which is another $75, and then it's cash only out of pocket for a condition. Mm-hmm. And so you potentially have patients that are going to spend anywhere between $500,000 a month, a month. Uh, on 
medical marijuana and insurance doesn't cover it. And so if there is an Period. opportunity to start getting the health insurance companies to do the co-pays, to do the me- Medicaid, Medicare, and be part of this system and recognizing that's going to decrease the costs associated with healthcare in our aging communities, that there's going to be more um, aid and, and involvement with everybody when you've got a system that is working for everybody, mm-hmm. not just a select few who have that financial means to participate. Right. A rising tide lifts all boats. There it That's is. JFK. But yep. um, should we decriminalize everything or just weed? When you say everything, you mean all drugs? Heroin, cocaine, designer drugs. Should they all? This is, goes back to my whole Sodom and Gomorrah concept. Does it really become that? Because it, it occurs to me that people are still getting the drugs that they want to do. People want to get high. This country is a tough place to make it through. Listen, for a white guy, it can be tough. And the white guy in this country is like, got it made. Mm-hmm. You know, I hear friends of mine complain about things and, and oh, I'm this, I'm that. And I look at them I'm like, you're a white dude. Privilege. Shut up. <laughs> you got nothing to say. Privilege. You know what I mean? Like, you, yeah. you already won the lottery. You know, mm. move along. Next, next story, because it's just... Um, so the issue with the other drugs that you're discussing yes. um, outside of marijuana is addiction. Um, addiction and desire for more and greed. With that addiction, the side effects of a lot of those drugs cause patients to act in a manner that is harmful to themselves and others, which Correct. brings it back to me. Medical marijuana, there have been zero, absolutely zero proven deaths. Recreational marijuana, marijuana, the same. Just forget Period. about medical. Just, yeah. just in general, people don't you get as aggressive. You cannot overdose on marijuana, ever. Right. Now, you can become addicted to marijuana. Can, That's a fact. The addiction is if there. If you're an addict. But the potential for overdose and the potential for violent crime on marijuana. Super low. Absolutely. Almost obviously. No, most people get high and they just kind of laugh at whatever's in front of them. <laughs> I've seen people get drunk on alcohol, which right. is very legal, and become incredibly violent. Absolutely. Um, and uh, get in a car and kill people. It's I, had a f- I had a friend just uh, tell me a story uh, this week that his mother has now seen all three of her kids drunk and stoned and r- likes them all better stoned. <laughs> <laughs> of course. And this is a conservative mother from, like, Georgia. <laughs> but does making, does making them, does making certain drugs illegal really prevent addiction, overdose, violent crime, or does it increase it? Does it minimize it? What does it do making it legal or illegal? Does it just create that black market and where uh, other monies can be made illegally and the romance of the crime? And or Yeah, it's not like the war on marijuana has decreased drug use. The war on anything. Right. Did you see what I'm saying? So the, so the criminalization piece of it, I mean... I think we have to go back to what's the goal here, right? What's the goal here? To lawmakers, what's the goal here? What is it that you actually are trying to achieve by? Because I think a deeper dive into that conversation will expose the fact that, yeah, you can you can holler, you know, decrease drug use all you want, but that's really empty rhetoric when we look at where we are now with marijuana and other you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's not like I'm using it any less because it's illegal. And I think part of that goes back to education, that even if it's legal or illegal, if you are in the schools and you're talking about, you know, I would never try heroin because I know, I have been taught and know the, you know, try it once and you're addicted for life. Mm-hmm. And so if you are start teaching kind of some of the chemical aspects of it and the addiction side of it, mm-hmm. not that you're scaring people away, but making them make that conscious decision, do I want to throw away my life by trying this heroin yeah, but this that's one a, time? That's a single, single view, narrow view, because... It, you know, most people don't say, you know what, I think I'm going to try heroin today. It, it's usually, it, I don't, I'm not a believer in the gateway concept. I'm mm-hmm. just not yeah. because you're going to use drugs. Teenagers usually are going to try something, peer pressure. You're going to, yep. and some aren't, but some are. And what happens is this some people try it and they really like it. And some people have the disease of addiction. And make no mistake, addiction is a disease. disease. Mm-hmm. There's, Absolutely. There's yep, no 100%. question. Absolutely. Yes. So, there are certain people that are going to try that, and they're going to be it. off to the races. Yeah. Other people are going to try and go, oh, that, you know what, it's that made me, me vomit, right. it made me sick, I'm never touching that again. But the other guy might be like, you know what, it made me vomit, but I felt great, I'm going to con- continue to do it. So having the idea that education saying, heroin's going to get you addicted, because a lot of heroin users today that are overdosing are products of the 
doctors who wrote prescriptions for, the opiates. for op- Oxycontin, Vicodin, and Absolutely. they were just in the 90s. They were writing yeah, right those prescriptions there was like no, crazy. There was no limit on how many narcotics you could prescribe at one point in medicine. Now with the opiate pandemic in the in the country right now, emergency medicine um, physicians are limited to no more than three days of narcotic prescriptions for patients that come into the ER. Is that the max now? That's the max. Yeah, because uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. Um, a few years ago, I remember I was applying for some life insurance and on the questionnaire, it had some information about uh, opioids. It had questions about depression. It had all these kind of, and I was kind of like, what's this all about? And in conjunction, that day I heard a breaking research study about the fastest mortality demographic in the United States of America was white middle-aged men. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because that's actually where we're seeing most of the deaths and overdoses. The middle class um, and, and white who have gotten it, that got the, the prescriptions uh, legally, and they kept getting it back and then getting addicted and now going mm-hmm. towards all the other heroines or more. Sure. And, and so that's actually the demographics that is overdosing. And because closely behind that is our younger population who is stealing their patient, their, their, their parents', parents medication. Yeah. So very, very close right behind that yeah. is it's, our yeah. younger population. And, and the thing that I'm saying about not... Sh- going right into heroin is a lot of those people that did legitimately get those pills and ended up not being able to afford them mm-hmm. and because the more you use the more you need because the efficacy factor mm-hmm. and the tolerance diminishes the tolerance yeah. and and they you know what oh look i can get a, a bag of heroin for twenty dollars that prescription over there is two thousand dollars which one am I going to go for right. to get the fix that i need to get through the day right. and that's the shame of it all because there are are certain drugs that are physically addictive and mentally addictive that create their own need. Cocaine, cigarettes, uh, opiates. Um, I think marijuana, in my experience, is one of the things that doesn't necessarily create a physical, maybe an emotional or mental need, but it seems that people that become addicted to marijuana are people who actually suffer from the disease of addiction. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about it scientifically. There are specific receptors in the brain and the brainstem. Okay. Um, those other drugs that you mentioned outside of marijuana saturate those receptors, and that's what gives you respiratory depression. That's what gives you um, um, physical depression. That's what gives you body aches and ailments, things that can cause arrhythmias in your heart. They actually physically have a negative effect on your organs. Marijuana does not attach to several of those receptors in the brain. That's why the addiction of marijuana is less, not saying obsolete, but less than things like cocaine and heroin and um, some of the other opiates. It's the physical science of the uh, CB2 receptors in the brain. And so the, the, can- the, the cannabinoids or the, yep. and, the and, and for opiates and cigarettes and the others, it's right. the dopamine? Exactly. Is that? Okay, so I did mm-hmm. study a little. And we see in states that have done either medical or recreational yeah. a 20 to 25% decrease in opiate overdoses. If that yep. it just in of itself mm-hmm. sh- shows you know that there is a, a definite correlation between the two. Mm-hmm. And I think you know what I'm hearing is a kind of constant theme in our conversation, Joe and, and ladies, is coping. You know what I mean? There's there's a there's an emphasis here. It's, it's kind of that thing underneath that we just think all young people like, I mean, of course you know how to get through the day. Of course you know how to deal with adversity. Of course you know how to deal with rejection. You know, we're talking about gender violence, right? Of course you know how to get through and be level-headed. I think we overestimate young people's ability to do all of that. And so you're talking about, you know, this skate, just getting away from what it is that's in front of me, not being able to kind of push through resilience, grit. I mean, all of those things back to education, mm-hmm. right? Real conversations about, you know, how is it that we problem solve? How is it that we navigate tough situations and tough people? And I think that also goes to what you were saying before about social media and, and our phones. And, and I think that what we have done is, yes, we have access to information 24 hours a day Mm -hmm. but what that's also done to this generation is they also are so tied to that people are breaking up on on you know via text Mm -hmm. that there's very little interact human interaction not understanding you know how to cope with rejection in person or if you have a problem with somebody being able to confront them them. and address the issue because that that existence is not real time it's it's a suspended yeah 
time frame and I can have 20 minutes to think about my smart reply <laughs> rather than like here in this program when we're, this is all live, we're having this conversation and it goes out on the air as we've had it without mm-hmm. edits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we put a nice little intro in and we put a nice little <laughs> outro on, but basically this is, uh, this is the key to so many things, conversation. Absolutely. Actually being able to talk to and um, listen, I don't own a gun. You own a gun. It's okay that you own a gun. I don't want to own a gun. That's just my choice. Um, I don't think that mentally ill people should own guns. Do you agree or disagree? Most people agree. The question there, though, and, and I'll defer to the doctor here, but <laughs> that when you, I think some of the conversation that's happened the last few weeks about mental illness, yes. that it's. It's easy to say mental illness, but what does that mean? Does that mean somebody who's got depression that goes to a doctor uh, for a couple of sessions, is that considered mental illness? And then that person doesn't, isn't qualified to own a gun. Well, then you're now not going to, you're going to encourage that person to not go see help. Stigmatized. Mm-hmm. Right. The Absolutely. spectrum of diagnosing mental illness is from very minor to extreme. And you have to experience all of it in order to be able to tell who is who. And it's very subjective also. It is mm-hmm. provider dependent. Right. And so if it, I have a kid coming to class, mm-hmm. literally late every day, head on the desk, turning in his assignments late, who am I to tell him that what he is feeling is not real? Oh, you're just, you know, because lazy. that's the that's yeah, tendency, right? Oh, lazy. you guys just can't deal. You guys, you know, man, my generation is kind of Protestant work ethic, right? <laughs> Mentality that, you know, this, you just get through it. You push through and that's, I mean, you hear more and more students, young people saying, I don't know how to put one foot in front of the other with this thing. And so I may not have the insurance or access to, you know, extra monies to go Mm -hmm. to a fancy doctor like Mm -hmm. Safia and go through that, what could be, you know, Nikki, you did the math, close to a thousand bucks to, you know, help me cope and manage. So again, I think we're hearing young people saying, I need help here. And that, you know, unfortunately has been kind of glossed over. And so, you know, mental health diagnoses, I think there are more and more people, of course, who haven't been diagnosed, who don't have the option for whatever reason, who are really suffering in, in silence. And like Nikki said, there are there are varying degrees. Mm-hmm. There clearly are varying degrees. One Definitely. of the things that I did when I initiated my website, AskDrLynn.com, is I made my introduction price $149. It is the lowest rate that you'll find in the state of Florida. That um, gets you an initial physical exam with me. We complete all of our application paperwork. It generates a patient ID number, and it qualifies you for your first prescription with me. Um, refills after that are $99, and I do 30-day prescriptions. Some providers provide up to 70 days. Are you but people writing this down? Goals, <laughs> I just want to make sure you're writing this information down. One of the important things is when you get with a physician who prescribes medical marijuana, it's not a generic prescription for everyone. It has to be graded according to the patient's usage, according to their tolerance, what they want to achieve out of it. You have to really understand the science behind it in order to prescribe it because there's no formula for it. It's very much a trial and error. So I make sure that we only do 30-day prescriptions because I want my patients to do a quick one-week trial on whatever product that I'm prescribing for them to see if that works for them. I don't want them to go to the dispensary and fill the entire prescription because you're out of pocket $800 at some point, and it may not work for you. We might have to increase the dosage. It may be too strong. We might have to decrease the dosage. Maybe another form of medical marijuana is better for you. So let me ask you a question. There is a difference then between the medical marijuana and the CBD marijuana? Yes, there's definitely a difference. Um, because you don't it. need to have a special card to go get C- CBD you products? You do. Oh, you do? You do. It's a gray area that people are operating yeah. in, but it, but CBD is still also Schedule 1. And so it, really? because in Florida, the way it's defined is any product of the plant. And so CBD is defined in general terms as low THC, so it's below 0.03 percentage of THC. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still considered uh, illegal to possess it um, unless you are getting it from a licensed medical marijuana provider. But there are shops that carry the CBD product. Now, they've been Slippery. able to get around Slippery. that because in other states, it has been marketed as a dietary supplement for CBD. So... It falls under different regulation. 
So they've been able to kind of, you know, maneuver that. The loophole. And that's how Work the to, loophole. To yeah. get it into their stores and distribute it. Which is very scary for, for those of us that, that are involved in the, in the medical program yeah. because we are so careful on the type of pesticides that we're using, Absolutely. how we're cutting the products, how it's getting done, what is getting put into it. And there are no regulations for those unlicensed CBD producers. And so you have no idea what, you're what type of metals and chemicals are in there. And you're talking about patients that are using it for medical purposes or they right. think they are, right. and they have no idea the chemical reactions that they may be having from it. Now, but what about with your pets? Because there are CBD products for your pets also. It's the same thing, same thing. So, so It's the same thing. And unfortunately, that's one of the top priorities on my list. I, I unfortunately lost my dog about a month ago uh, to cancer. And so I was like, whatever I can do to make him feel better, yeah. I did. <laughs> but I like that to be legal. <laughs> but you have a card, so you're good I to go. I have a card. And if he just happens to drop in his water, I can't control what he licks. <laughs> so I have a question for the doctor, and that's this. If I come to you and you say, this is going to work for you, and I'm going to start taking this stuff, what is the deal with driving a vehicle and being on this? Am I subject to DUI? Am I exempt from that? So driving under the influence, um, you are not subject to that because medicinal marijuana does not create that euphoric high. If you're using a strength of it that does give you that feeling, you're probably a terminally ill patient who is not driving around in your car. Um, So yes, you are allowed to travel with it, but you cannot travel out of state. You cannot cross state lines. I had a patient call me like, hey, I'm going to Chicago. Can I just, you know, put my vape pen and my carry on? Absolutely not. You can't travel across state lines with it because it's state regulated. Even if you're going to another state that allows it? Correct. If, If you're crossing over a state that does not allow it, remember, state by state, are the rules. So they might not allow your concentration or they might not allow your product that you're bringing in. And remember, the airlines is controlled by the feds. So TSA is where you're going to get arrested at. So So regardless of where you're going necessarily, it's Mm -hmm. because the airlines and the airwaves in TSA is federal. Federal. Yeah, you can get busted. So let's make that distinction. State regulated, but not federally approved. Right. Okay? So you can still get a federal case. Exactly. You can still get a federal charge in a federal case for marijuana, but you will not get a state charge for your for your possession in a state that allows you to have that substance. So it occurs to me from this conversation that if we in this country can get Florida and two or three other, maybe four other states, that this will be the tipping point to make this a federal law, which is what needs to, I guess, happen for this to become an actual thing where it can be insured and you can deposit the money right. in a bank mm-hmm. and you can take it to the next level. And It just needs to be unified. It needs to be unified nationwide because Medicare is nationwide. But um, Medicare didn't start out nationwide. No, it did not. It, Medicare was, it took a bunch of states, it took yeah. more than 20 years for more all the states to years. sign on. Exactly. Yeah. And look at the momentum this has done right. in just a short amount of time. I think California was the first state to approve in 1999, is that? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. For medical marijuana use? For medical marijuana use, Mm -hmm. yeah. And then Colorado and and Washington State were the first First for recreational. recreational. Mm -hmm. But Colorado started off as also medical first Mm -hmm. and then went to recreational. Did Washington State do the same thing or did they just go straight 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 to the party? Straight to medical. Mm -hmm. Right. And and the federal side is a little bit more complicated um, because it's not – because, look, we have a lot of swing states um, that are, in fact, medical or have even gone recreational. um, But it's going to be a bigger fight. So some of the things that we're doing on a federal level is, one, um, trying to educate our U.S. attorneys because now that the the AG Sessions has basically said, our U.S. attorneys, you are allowed to go and prosecute – we're trying to educate our U.S. attorneys saying you've got better things to do than come after us that are doing this legally under our state protections. Right. Um, but also working with the appropriations committees to make sure that in the budget, which has been there for the last four years, that if you are in fact a state that is a medical marijuana state, then the Department of Justice may not use federal funds to prosecute, prosecute you. So that is actually being negotiated this weekend. Uh, it's in the 2018 budget, but we're also working on not only expanding it for just medical for 2019, but also financial institutions so that we can start taking the banking and potentially also expanding it for the adult use states. Because most of the people with that argument are on the conservative side, the Republican side, and it's always an irony to me that these are the same people that are 
forever crying. States' rights. Right. And, States' and, rights. And, and, until, until this comes. Less government. <laughs> and, and the irony is that, that a lot of this stuff that's been pushed in the medical side is coming from our first responders and our vets yeah. who are using it for PTSD. Mm-hmm. That instead of coming back from whether it, it's wartime or it's from just for first responders, they're coming back and, and they're going through trauma mm-hmm. and, and severe trauma that they're having to go towards, you know, whether it's heroin or other types of opiates right. or other types of self medication and unfortunately some of them you know ending their lives that medical marijuana is such an, a great way to get them back into society and productive and so the biggest charges both here in Texas and, and Texas and here in Florida were from the vet community mm-hmm. and remember that veteran community usually does most of their health care through the Veterans Association Hospital which yeah. is federally funded. federally funded so you can't get you know medical marijuana through the VA hospital so they don't have the financial means to go out and purchase that at the dispensary or get in a card approved. You know, there's there's that gap. So we're 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 helping them and then we're holding them back at the same time. Mm-hmm. Let me just give you a quick update as to where we are with the state of Florida. So as of March second, it looks like there's over eighty three thousand patients that are registered in the state of Florida for um, medical marijuana, and those that have approved identification cards in hand are over fifty six thousand. So we're getting there. We're making slow strides in process. Over 1,100 qualified physicians in the state. And um, there are 13 treatment centers in the state. So the more people we get approved, the more growers we will be able to get, the more licenses we'll be able to produce, and the more dispensaries and easier access to those dispensaries. So our goal is to sign up as many people as possible. And we also do home delivery across the state. So all of us can do home delivery anywhere in the state of Florida, Mm -hmm. uh, no matter where our locations are. So a lot of... those of us who are licensed, you see that as a huge benefit because some of the cities and counties have banned the dispensaries. Mm-hmm. And if you are home and, and not feeling well, that you can at least go online, go through a dispenser, an organization, right. and get it delivered right to your house. That's and great. the average cost for that is about $25. And most of the dispensaries do that as a um, as a complimentary service depending on how much you spend with the dispensary as well, too. So keep that in mind. It's not a huge fee. It's not like FedEx that you have to pay $50 for overnight shipping. <laughs> right. They're driving it to your house. House. Just back to the veterans for a second, because it's a it's a fascinating aspect Very. of this whole puzzle. Um, is are is any of you aware that if a veteran goes in and has blood work done and their blood work shows that they have weed in it, that they can lose their benefits? Is that actually something? Yes. yes. That's like our convicted felons who are on probation. And if they get positive medical marijuana tests in their drug screening, they can also be sent back to jail for violating probation. There you go. Yep. Wow. It's a huge problem, and it's something that we're discussing on the federal level uh, significantly because it, there's they're starting to work on the research side through the vets, um, but there is, ba- you know, that I think it was about two weeks ago that, that uh, President Trump signed a, a vet bill, yes. and then in the same breath basically allowed Attorney General Sessions to do what he <laughs> wanted to do on, on medical marijuana. <laughs> talk about vets but i mean again in even a more general way veterans of people who've been oppressed in this country you talk about transgenerational trauma right and so you think about how the cycle of that is passed from one generation to another generation going back to jim crow going back to i mean i always like to talk about michelle alexander's book the new jim crow because what we're really talking about you know is racial inequity and we're talking about a history of oppression that we don't feel comfortable really talking about. So, you know, vets, yeah, but if you're just a veteran of, you know, what being an American looks like for people who look like you, you know, I think, again, pain management, trauma, Mm -hmm. how do we reconcile all of that? How do you become social, you know, and upward in your mobility? How, How do you just live a decent life and be a productive citizen when you have all of this kind of unanswered, unaddressed, unrecognized trauma back to the young people? So how do I articulate that? And where do I go for help? I love the fact that you talk about resources and putting that out there to the people because, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's to me, back to what we can do, making resources available. That's the key. And that's, again, one of the things that we're trying to do here at Felony Miami is have guests like you guys on the show to talk about these things and then on the website to make these resources available so people can find ways to get involved, you know, that are bona fide and, and vetted through through the producers here at Felony Miami and recommended by 
you know, activists and, and huge beneficial members of our community, such as all of you. Yeah, that's good work. And it's, yeah, so we're very happy about that. And we're really happy about how many uh, super intelligent people and passionate and compassionate people we're attracting to, to this program to have these conversations because these conversations are necessary. And um, we want to get them out there to the world and we want to try and help give people tools to take things to the next level. Now, before we end this show, a couple of the producers had this little idea because a lot of us have a background in music and that's Uh-oh. like our, our background. <laughs> so one of our questions to wrap the show up is we want to know what music is playing in your car today? Okay, I'll give you five seconds to think about it, <laughs> although you should know this right off the top of your heads, but I see everybody kind of going, hmm, yeah, okay. So I don't need the whole playlist, but give me, give me one or two uh, artists or, or songs or something that's playing in your car today. Right now, my top three on my playlist would probably be Gucci Man, Kendrick Lamar, and there's a new artist called I Am Texas, and uh, she has an awesome new album that's out. Okay. So R&B and hip-hop all the way. Nice. Well, I have a 10-year-old daughter, and we are from Atlanta. For the last 10 years of her life, she knows Atlanta. So we're listening to trap music all day, the Futures and the Gucci's and the, yeah, we're at a place where we're both sharing the same playlist kind of stuff. <laughs> it's beautiful. And, and I'm all over the place. I, I, I you know, li- listen to, to Pink Floyd, to classic rock, uh, but also I go to the iHeart Radio concert every year, and so I keep up with all of my, uh, you know, teeny bopper, you know, <laughs> Uh, my, my favorite new artist is Halsey. I think she's just a rock star, awesome story. Um, so I, I am all over the spectrum, and every once in a while, I catch a little bit of country on my music stations. <laughs> You're hitting right. that, that's there why that's go. my Central Florida background of uh, being in, in Alachua County for a very long time. <laughs> you are hip, Nikki, no doubt. <laughs> well, we're always open to new ideas. Write in, tell us what's on your mind. I want to thank all of our guests today for engaging in this conversation and being here at Felony Miami. For the rest of the team, I'm Joe Stone. We'll see you next time. For additional information on today's program regarding medical marijuana cards, you can contact Dr. Lynn at askdrlynn.com. That's A-S-K-D-R-L-Y-N.com. And for more information regarding lawmakers and regulations on medical marijuana, contact Nikki Freed at ignitingflorida.com. That's ignitingflorida.com. And if you'd like to get in touch with us here at Felony Miami, it's felonymiami.com. Check out our Instagram, Facebook page. Give us a like. We'll see you next time. Well, it's Mama. Well, it's